Matthew 18, verse 23, you can read on the screen and you can read in your own Bibles. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Say that word. Say, settle accounts. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I want you to look at the screen. Here's what 10,000 talents really mean. It's a monetary unit worth about 20 years labor. Now think of you. Think of how much you've been earning. Multiply that by 20. And that's how much you owed. This ruler. I worked it out. It's 200,000 years or 4,000 lifetimes worth of wages. In our modern day times. It's like... It's, it's impossible to pay back. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold with his wife and children and that he, um, the payment be made towards what he owed. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, have patience with me, I will, I will try my best to pay you back. But out of pity for him, the master said that he be released and he forgave him the debt. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. Times that by a hundred, it's about a hundred days wages. Compare that to 4,000 lifetimes. (laughs) It's like nothing, right? Compared to what he owed the king. So he seized him, but began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you back. He refused though. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were distressed. They went to the ruler and they said, you know, they reported all this. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Another translation said, in anger, his master delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do for everyone if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. First point I want to make today, and if you have notes with you, you can fill this in. Forgiveness is a command. It's not a suggestion. The Bible is very clear about this. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And forgave each other, forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The reality is that we are the first servant. And the debt we owe to God because of our sinful nature is in comparison the same to when Anybody does anything to us, no matter how bad or how gruesome or how inhumane it was. The comparison does not meet. Nothing a man can do to us can compare to how our nature is defiled before God outside of Jesus Christ. And, the, and we are the first servant. And if you have made a, made a decision to, to submit your life to Jesus... Uh, and, and trust that he will give you his righteousness in exchange for your sin. Take your sinful nature and give you his righteous nature. What happened to you is similar to what happened to that first, to that first slave. 
you were forgiven a whole lot. You were given something in exchange that you did not deserve and that you could never earn. And so God tells us, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you and so you must forgive others. Point number two here is that there, there are no limitations on who we should forgive or how many times. Matthew 18.21, Peter came to Jesus and he's like, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Thinking, man, I'm really, really, really a good man if I forgive my brother seven times. You know, there's something about that number that's just perfect, seven. Just think about that number. It's like, man, seven times. It wasn't six times, it was seven times. <laughs> and Jesus is like, bro, not seven times, 70 times seven. And this is not an invitation to a math class. This is him saying, just keep it going. Just don't stop. No matter how many times it happens, forgive each time. I want to tell you a story of somebody that I think you would appreciate. Um, his name is Jake DeShazer. How many of you have heard of Jake DeShazer before? Anybody? All right, one, two people. All right, good. So I've got a good American story that you haven't heard, again, uh, heard much of before. You might, it, it might come to you as we go on, but um, don't interrupt me when that does, please. Okay? All right. All right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so um, there was this guy called Colonel James Doolittle. He got assigned uh, a mission to retaliate on the Pearl Harbor attacks that um, they, uh, they had to fulfill uh, uh, mid-April in 1942. And uh, um, the plan was to take, to take um, airplanes, bo bomber airplanes. I don't exactly know what they call those things, but they were the airplanes that dropped the bombs. Um, and they had a lot of crew on them, and one of the crews was called a bombardier. He was the guy that, you know, that dropped the actual bomb from the plane. And uh, the thing, though, is they couldn't reach them by air from the United States. They needed to normally carry these planes on an airport carrier. It was a big boat uh, with, a, with a platform. And then they would bring them to a place, they would offload them, and then they would take off again. Someone had the idea to start looking into taking off from that airport carrier that had never been attempted before. Of course, now it's like, you know, second, you know, second, thought, second nature for us to think that they would do that. But at that time, it has never been done before. And uh, um, they went and they studied the, the distance that these bombing aircrafts needed to get off the ground. And it was, it was a little longer, but it was just about as long as one of these airport carriers would be in. So they... They said, we, we have to try this. We have to put these planes on this thing, and then we need to go close enough for us to reach Japan by air, and then we need to take off in the middle of the ocean to complete this mission. And so they started practicing this, and they said to themselves, all right, we're going to do this. So they got everybody on this airport uh, airplane carrier, and one of the people that went with them was called Jake DeShazer. He was in the company. Uh, and uh, their plane took off along with all the other planes from the airport carrier, and they successfully, um, they successfully completed their mission to bomb Japan. However, before they took off, a fishing boat 
discovered them way before their actual takeoff position. And they had to make a decision whether they were going were gonna to forego the element of surprise or whether they, and, and continue till the point which now obviously Japan would know that they, would, they were going to come or whether they were going to abandon the mission. Or they were just going to do it right now and figure out how to get home later. And I guess at that time, you know, that would seem to be the best option. And so they took off too soon, way too soon. After carrying out their mission, the consequence was that they didn't have enough fuel to get back to safe landing place in China. And uh, um, there, were, there was areas in China that was still um, held by Chinese who were friendly to the United States at, at that time. And um, they tried to get as close as they could, but literally everybody had to abandon midair. And the planes went down, and they parachuted into China. And a large, a large majority of them were found by friendlies, and they made their way into, into secure company. But eight of them got caught by Japanese soldiers, and they became prisoners of war. And for the next three years, they experienced intense torture, starvation, beatings, humiliation. And for a Jap Japanese warrior at that time, the thought of defeat was such a shameful thing that if you got caught, you would rather fall in your own sword than admit that you were caught. So suicide was a better option than surviving death. Of course, in our Western worldview, we would think, hey, maybe I can get out of this some point and I can still live. <laughs> but that's how they would differ. So these people looked at, at these American soldiers and they just thought of them as cowards. And so they did not only treat them bad because they were prisoners of war and because they were the enemy, they treated them bad because they had zero respect for them. Zero respect for their lives. Zero respect for the humanity because they thought of them as shameful. So they endured inhumane treatment. Around about the end of the third year, something significant happened. After at least half of them had died, the four that remained got given books to read one, at one point while in solitary confinement. And one of those books happened to be a Bible. Now they don't know if this was by design or by accident, but it, it, it was a Bible. And... Um, Jake got a hold of this Bible, and he started reading the Gospels. He read through Matthew, and by the time he had come to the crucifixion, he was destroyed on the inside. See, here's the backstory of Jake. Jake. He had such hatred and bitterness towards Japan that he volunteered to be on this mission. He wanted vengeance so bad. He got his vengeance, but he also got caught. And in prison, because of their torture and their, what they had to endure, he just grew more bitter and more angry and more hateful towards the Japanese people. By the time he had read through Matthew, he had come to a point where he realized that he was as big an offender in God's eyes as these guys were in the eyes of the United States. And it ripped his heart out of his chest. When Jesus' words on the cross said, forgive them for they don't know what they do, 
he cried out to God, forgive me because I did not know what I was doing. See, he had grown up in church, but he had rejected God, rejected faith for his whole life. And it led him down a path of destruction, maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. And that day in solitary confinement, he made his life right with God. And it's amazing how the moment he started doing that, his view towards the Japanese soldiers that guarded them changed. Instead of feeling bitterness and anger and hatred towards them, he started feeling pity for them, realizing that they did not know what they were doing and that they were just the same as he was, men without God. <clears throat> Amazingly, he got a dream the one night of them getting free and uh, the only way they could actually communicate, the Japanese did not know of this, with the people that, the, with their fellow, their fellow POWs, was by talking through the urinals. Now you know you're desperate for communication and for for company if you're talking into a toilet, to um, you know to <laughs> to get some form of interaction. And he said to the one guy closest to him, "I had a dream last night, and God said to me, we're getting out." And so this guy obviously mocked him and said, man, you're, you're losing it. Get, get a grip, of, grip on yourself. And so he said, no, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm completely with myself. Um, I know we're getting out today. Sure enough, at the end of that day, they were out. They had been miraculously delivered. Japan had admitted defeat. And um, because of their location and because of where the actual... Um, the actual final kind of declaration of defeat took place, they were too close to that to just, to just get killed because they felt that it, it, would, it would be a bad show of, of their own honor and respect. And then so they decided to release them rather than to kill them, which was the actual you know, practice at the time. All prisoners of war at defeat, they were all just killed just as a last show of, you know, defiance. But they were not. Miraculously, they got out. And so, got back to the United States. He went about telling his story. But shortly after that, he enrolled in Bible college. He was three years in a Bible, in, 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 in solitary confinement, torture chambers. Three years in Bible college. And guess what he did after Bible college? Got on a ship with his family and went back to Japan. Not to bomb them, but to bring them the gospel. Jesus had changed him entirely. That kind of change can only happen through forgiveness. Think about what he had endured. Think about the people. Now, then what they did to him. Then he went back to them, not, not to get back at them, but to show them love. That's amazing. You know the end result of that? He ended up planting three churches himself, raised up leaders who went on planting 21 churches all throughout Japan. He met with his former torturers and led them to Jesus. And he even got to meet with the captain of the commission that led the attack on Pearl Harbor. And he led that guy to the Lord. Come on. <clears throat> Jake found his destiny right on the other side of forgiveness. I'm telling you today, if you refuse to forgive, the devil has a destiny for you. And that's how he holds you to his. But if you forgive, God can heal what you went through and reveal to you your destiny. Before you do, it's a massive chance that you can miss it.
Another story, a lady, this is a German lady, her name was Corrie ten Boom, and her family resisted what the Nazis was doing in their, in their country, persecuting the Jews. So they would hide Jews in their, in their homes. Now, eventually they got found out, and um, they got put in concentration camps alongside with the Jews, her and her whole family. So Corrie was just a little girl at this time. Her and her sisters were in different camps than her parents. All her parents died, and eventually her sister also died right in, that concentration, in, her, in the concentration camp that she was in. And um, <clears throat> eventually she got out. She managed to survive. But if you know your history, you know what they endured in those concentration camps. It was inhumane. People don't treat animals that way today. She came out and went about talking about you know, her faith and how her faith in God helped her to survive all that treatment and to have hope that one day they would get out. And it was at one of these me- meetings where she was speaking about, telling her testimony and, and coincidentally on the topic of forgiveness, that at the end of the meeting, just before she ended, she suddenly recognized one of the men that was sitting in the back in a corner. Guess who it was? It was the most horrible prison guard that that they had in their own prison camp at the time. At the hands of which her sister died. And he was sitting there. Not only was he sitting there, at the end of her message, he came walking down the aisle with his hands stretched out saying, Thank you for this amazing message. How awesome, how wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Because that's what she had used as an analogy. And uh, she couldn't take his hand. So just put yourself and the person that have hurt you in the same position. She couldn't take his hand. Would you be able to take their hand? She couldn't forgive this person. And uh, this person said to her, you mentioned that particular concentration camp and um, and I I used to be a guard there and I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of any of that I did. In fact, I'm, I'm downright ashamed of it. But I have come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and even though it's so hard for me to forgive all the cruel things, forgive myself for all the cruel things that I did. I know in your message today has confirmed to me that God has forgiven me. But I would just, I would just love to hear from you, from your lips too, that God has forgiven me. And so there she is standing in front of this man with the outstretched hand. Why is it so difficult to forgive? Why don't we take that hand? I want to make some points now about why it is so difficult for us to forgive. And, <clears throat> and then take us through a journey of, of how do we forgive despite all that we're going to discuss now. The first thing is we forget our own depravity. Matthew 18.32 said, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
We forget our own depravity. In that moment where we're put before the decision, am I going to forgive this person or not? In that moment, I feel that I am not as bad as this person in front of me. I feel like I'm better than him. And he does not deserve what I have received. That's why we think of ourselves as way more in that moment. And we forget that we ourselves was forgiven of an unforgivable debt. When you forget your own depravity, you see everybody else around you in the wrong light. You don't see them as Christ sees them. You don't see them as God sees them. You see them through your hurt. And I want to make a point later about, about hurt. Because there is not anything wrong with hurt. But I'll get to that. The second point is we want justice before we'll be willing to, get, to give forgiveness. We want justice before we can extend forgiveness. Hebrews 10.30 says, For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. We think justice will make the pain go away, and that justice will bring healing to our hurt. Let me just say this real quick. How many of you know God is a God of love? That's good. Do you realize God is also a God of justice? And in no less a way is he a God of justice than he is a God of love. Love and justice are both equally a part of God's nature. Which means that when you were wronged, God hates that you were wronged. When you got hurt, when your soul got destroyed, when you got violated... In any form or way, backstabbed, no matter what happened, God hates that that happened. God did not plan that for you. He did not will that for you. He did not want that for you. He hates that it happened. This life is messed up. Stuff happens in this world that God did not design it for. Because of man's sin and our brokenness, this world is broken. And things like this happen, not because God wants it to happen, or that he has a one grand sort of plan for it, and therefore he causes it to happen. No, it happens because we are broken. It happens because this world does not function according to his design anymore. But we have the consolation from the scripture that says, in all things... God is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that he causes those things. It means that when they happen, he jumps into it with you. And he wants to help you through it. He wants to help you come over it, get over it, and he wants to help you move on from it. But he can only do it if you will follow him. If you will follow his guidance. And his guidance is forgiveness. His guidance is not to hold on to that thing, but to let it go so that he can deal with it. If we allow him to deal with it, 
justice will prevail. But here's the reality. You might not get your vengeance. And that's why it's hard. Because we feel like we want justice, but we use justice actually as a little pseudo term for vengeance. I want to get back at that person. I want them to feel what I felt. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. But here's something we also believe. We believe justice will bring healing. And that's a lie. Justice cannot bring healing. Now, don't get me wrong. God is a God of justice. God is such, so serious about justice that he could not solve man's fundamental problem without acting justly. If you think about this, man had a debt to pay because of our sinfulness. And God didn't just go from heaven, oh, you know what, it's all good. I, it's all good. I know you went through a hard time. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, I, you know just, let's just let it go. No, he had to deal with our sin in an appropriate way. He had to deal with it in a just way. In other words, there was legalities that needed to be satisfied in order for him to qualify as the one who can cleanse us of our debt, who can forgive us of our debt. He had to do it in a certain way. And so that's why he had to become a man. Because the Bible says that the penalty for sin is death. And nobody has lived up to that standard of God. And so all of us fall short of that standard. So as a man, he had to step into our shoes in order to qualify to pay that debt on our behalf. And that's why Jesus had to die as a man. It was a legal requirement. It wasn't just a good idea. Heaven's sake. <laughs> if that was just a good idea... Whoa, dude, that's a little over the top, don't you think? No, it was a necessary idea. He couldn't do it in any other way and still call himself a just God. He would be partial. He would be unjust. And so when he says, I will repay, you can have the confidence that he is serious about justice, serious enough to let his own son die in order to fulfill the requirements for justice to be fulfilled. And so it's not a cheap offer for you today. That if you let this go, it's just gonna, nothing's going to come from it. No, God will deal with it. And you can trust him. And you can put your, you can bank on it. That either he's going to deal with it at the end of time, in judgment, or he's going to deal with it in Christ. The second one is a little bit more difficult. Because for Corrie ten Boom, who stood in front of that, that prison guard, God had dealt justly with that person's sin in Christ. He was not going to experience ever what she experienced. Yet, Jesus forgave him of his debt. And she was before that decision realize that man i wish rather this person would go to hell i wish rather that he died without jesus so that he can feel the torment 
forever. That would give me vengeance. See, God is not a God of vengeance. According to our pattern, according to our desire, He's a God of justice. And in the same way that He died for my sin and released me of my debt, He died for that prison guard's sin and He released him of his debt. But here's what the Bible says in, this, in, this, in, in the verse here. is like, if you do not forgive and you carry that with you, he says, you'll be handed over to the tormentors until you can pay your debt. What does that mean for us today? This weight of trying to settle accounts is too much for humans to bear. We do not have the strength to balance the scales, people. We cannot do it. Which means that this will bear down on your shoulders with such a weight that it will crush you. Figuring out how to get back at everybody vexes our souls to the point where it destroys us. It closes up our hearts, sears our consciences, makes us unable to give or receive love. God wants us to not experience all that. That's why he says, let me carry justice. Let me carry justice. When, when my grandpa got murdered um, in South Africa about 20 years ago, we all felt that we wanted vengeance. My grandfather was a servant of our community, and he used to sell building material to, from, his, from his garage. He used to sell building material very cheap to, our, to people that couldn't afford it. He was a servant of our community. The community called them his, their father. So when two men of their community, of our, of our community, killed him, it wasn't the police who caught them. It was the community who delivered them out to the police. Said, we don't want you among us anymore because you killed our father. So they got life in prison without option of parole ever. So they'll die in prison. And so we got justice, right? Yeah, we did get justice. Those people, according to our constitution, some would argue, man, you know, they should have gotten the death penalty. I would argue so too. But in our, according to our constitution, death penalty is not a, is, 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 is not a thing. We don't, we don't do that. So similar to some states over here. Um, so they got the maximum penalty. That's as far as our system could um, enact justice. The thing is, though, that that did not bring healing. To my soul. I still wanted them to die. Not just die. I wanted them to die horribly. The way they killed my, fa- my grandfather. You see we got justice. But justice cannot bring healing to your soul. And as much as justice is necessary. For, for things like this. Justice is necessary for recompense. They... In our society, God instituted government institutions to enact justice among us for people that that have to pay for punishable offenses. That is necessary. And justice is necessary for for reconciliation. If there's ever going to be a relationship between us 
I, we need to have justice. If, furthermore than that, if there's going to be partnership between us, if you want me to not just forgive you, not, sorry, if you want me to not have just a relationship with you, but if you want me to trust you and work alongside you again, now we need restitution. And for restitution to happen, justice needs to prevail. Justice is an important aspect in a society. We cannot go without justice. But you do not need justice before you can extend forgiveness. There is an order in which these things happen. And I believe in all of that. I believe in forgiveness. I believe in recompense. I believe in rest, reconciliation. And I believe in restitution. But they happen in an order. And I will argue that you can never get to any of those three before you have actually forgave, forgiven. It opens the door to all of that. But before all of that, you will not go Before your forgiveness, you will not get it to anything. <clears throat> My dad went through a, through a bad thing. Um, people... Uh, connived him out of out of a whole lot of money probably in today's terms about a million um a million let me just the math real quick it's about 20 years ago as well so you're probably looking at over two hundred thousand dollars he was about middle-aged um up uh, middle 40s and he had worked his his whole life up to that point, use his savings to complete a, a, a project that he was going to get paid for. And then the company went and they declared bankruptcy and they just left us there with a whole lot of debt, no savings. Just he's halfway through his career. My dad never recovered from that financially. We grew up in poverty as a result of those people who stole all that money from us. They went on, lived a high life, and I had to, uh, <clears throat> I had to go to secondhand shops to, not even secondhand shops. I had to get clothes from friends, and my mother got clothes from my friends without me not necessarily always knowing. And then I would wear it, and then they were like, "That guy's wearing my shirt." <laughs> oh my goodness, I felt a lot of shame for that in school, and you know what? I hated those men. I hated them. I wish that they would get business failures. I wish that they would lose their houses, their cars. I wish that they would lose anything, everything. I wanted vengeance so bad for those people. <laughs> I, would, I would sit and I would think, how, does that, how can we like, there was just no legal route we could follow because we didn't have any money. <laughs> we couldn't even sue them. Um, it, we were just, it was just done. We, we would just have to go on without it. I did not appreciate that. Um, we, get, we got no justice. To this day, we didn't get justice for that. But I managed to get through it, and I managed to move past it and get healed from it to a point where now I am no longer feeling any emotional hurt when I think about that time because God had completely restored me he has provided for me in ways that has been amazing. And he has made me, he has made me well. 
you don't have to need to get justice in order to forgive. The third reason why it's difficult for us to forgive is we don't understand the, the healing process of forgiveness. I need a time indication of where I'm at in my... Okay, there it is. Does that mean... No, it's not that. Just how much time do we have left? About 15 minutes? All right, good. Thank you. We don't understand that, that, that forgiveness has a healing process connected to it. And first and foremost, healing, healing can never start. And forgiveness cannot come unless you make a decision to do it. It always starts with a decision. It always starts with a decision. And this decision is always an act of faith. It's an act of trust in God that He will let justice prevail. But your decision here is to let justice go. Note carefully, I'm not saying give up on justice. I'm not saying give up, but you have to let it go to God to deal with it. You have to put it in His hands. And you say, Lord, you deal with this because it's crushing me. I am deciding that I'm going to forgive this person. Now, this is where the emotion kicks in because, man, you're not necessarily going to feel great after you did that. You might see that person again and all those emotions come up again. You might have a temporary relief of the anger, but you find yourself running into them in the grocery aisle and you just want to, you hope that you're in the, in, the, in, the, in the knives aisle at that time, you know, so that you can start throwing stuff at them. And that's because healing is a process. Healing takes time. But forgiveness is a decision that starts immediately. But here's what you need to hear. And I want to say this to you today as if I, and I wish I could say this to you personally, individually, on a one-on-one way. But I want you to know that what is, if, if somebody hurt you, if they, if you, if you was in any form or way done wrong, and, and, and I understand sometimes horrible things have happened where your dignity could have been taken from you, your innocence could have been taken from you, your security could have been taken from you, trust could have been taken from you. I want you to know that you're right in believing that that was wrong. It was wrong. It should have never happened to you. You did not deserve that. God did not intend that for you. It was wrong. And you're right to feel hurt. You're right to feel angry. You're right to be destroyed in your, in your, in your soul. Hurt is not wrong. But I want to also say this to you today. Forgiveness is right. Withholding forgiveness is wrong. Not just between you and God, but it's wrong towards yourself. Because you withholding forgiveness is you keeping yourself in that position where you can never get out of it. You can never move above it. You can never rise from it. It's wrong towards yourself to not forgive. Number two, first it starts with a decision. Second, there's a practice 
of forgiveness. There's a practice of forgiveness where you have to um, deal with the consequences of whatever happened. Look, if you fell pregnant while being raped, after being raped, and, and there's a baby, that's a massive consequence that you're going to have to deal with, right? There are consequences to things that happen to us. And God wants to redeem the consequences. He wants to turn that into something that can glorify Him. He wants to make it into something that can bring even hope to other people. But the practice of forgiveness is what brings restoration and redemption to even the gravest of consequences that you're facing. God will redeem your pain to fulfill his plan. And again, I'm not saying it is his plan. But he will get into that thing. And he will start working that thing until it can become a good thing. But in the process of him doing that, in the process of you getting healing, you have to keep the decision of forgiveness intact. Do not retract that decision. Because the decision followed up by a practice leads to what is called an identity transformation. Where you are able to see yourself on the other side of this hurt. You're able again to look at yourself and see the healed you. See the you that Jesus intends you to be. How does that happen? That happens as we accept God's truth over our situation. For instance, you stole money from me. I'm a victim of theft. And therefore, I will not be able to recover and be blessed financially again. That is a lie. But that's what your situation declares over you. If you will say, hey, Psalm 147 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I can say of myself, my God will supply in my needs according to His rich grace in Christ Jesus. And my God is my provider, not my paycheck, not people. God can restore me and bind up my wounds. He starts showing you the healed me, the healed you. I was abused. I'm a victim of abuse. My security, my safety was compromised. I am not safe. And because I'm not safe, I can never trust again. That's the lie that your hurt is declaring over you the whole time. Or you can replace that with a truth that says God can give me a friend that is born for a time of adversity. God can put me in family. He places the lonely in families. He's a father to the fatherless. Under his wings I can find security. God can replace that lie with his truth that brings healing. But it involves us seeing ourselves, seeing us as somebody different. Our identity gets detached from the pain and it gets attached to a truth from God's word related to that situation. And as you realize that I no longer have to see myself as that, I can see myself as what God's truth declares over me. I could say I am fearfully and wonderfully made and my soul knows that very well. And whether I was violated or not, I can look at myself 
and have dignity because God made me and he restores me. He restores me. Whether somebody cheated on me, whether somebody cheated me out of something or not, God can fill me with hope and God can fill me with strength to overflow through the power of the spirit that lives in me. Whether I was a victim of oppression and I feel like I cannot advance in life because how I was done in, God says to you, he gives justice to the oppressed, food to the hungry. He frees the prisoner. And you can declare with my God, I can run against the troop and I can leap over any obstacle that is in front of me. It's a detachment from what happened in your identity, your self view and an attaching to God's view of you. But you cannot do that until you've decided to let that go. And not try and fix that by enacting vengeance and getting justice first before you do it. Let God avenge the situation. Decide to forgive whoever offended you, hurt you. Practice that forgiveness. Attach, detach from that. See the healed you. See the promise of God that will help you move beyond this. Healing is a process. 2 Peter 3 verse 1 says, I have been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Once you realize that God can help you move, He has given you everything you need to rise above this. You can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I want to conclude with Corey Tim Boom's story. Before that, listen to what Luke, Luke 27 says. It says, Luke 23, verse 27, sorry. But to those of you who will listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. You can only do that once you've detached from the identity that this hurt has declared over you. And you can start praying for the people that need God in their life so that they can stop hurting other people. So Corey says, I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and I could not forgive. I could, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there with his hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And so, woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one that was stretched out to me. And as I did that, an incredible thing happened. A current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and it sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being and it brought tears to my eyes and I screamed, I forgive you, brother. With all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former God and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I want to declare this to you today. If we do not forgive, we will never get free from the hurt. But if you start, if you make the decision today to let it go, to put it in God's hands, to deal with it, and you decide to start forgiving, and you allow the process of healing to take its course in your life, God will help you rise above this.